In today's episode of Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association, we pick up on our conversation with AMA President Dr. Jack Resnick and our second guest, Rob Jordan, Director of AMA Political and Legislative Grassroots, to talk about the Physicians Grassroots Network and best practices for grassroots change. And joining us again is Jason Marino, Director of AMA Congressional Affairs. Leading the conversation is Dr. Sandra Freihofer, Chair of the AMA Board of Trustees. Here's Dr. Freihofer. Our first panelist is our AMA President, Dr. Jack Resnick, the public face and the voice of our AMA on these issues and so many more. Our second guest is Rob Jordan, AMA's Director of Political and Legislative Grassroots. Rob oversees AMA's Physicians Grassroots Network and will share some of his insights into that work and how these efforts are activating physicians to engage on these issues. So welcome, Rob. Thank you. It's great to be here. And back with us again is Jason Marino, AMA's Director of Congressional Affairs. Rob, please tell us about AMA and Physician Grassroots and what's the best way to get involved year-round. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Freihofer. When advocating on healthcare issues with your elected officials, whether it's here in D.C. or, or back at home, you've, you all have such a built-in advantage being physicians. You're, you're really looked to as the experts because lawmakers know that you're the ones that are implementing the policy on the front lines. Uh, what you can impart from your own experiences and, and that of your colleagues in, in providing patient care it's much more powerful than any one chart or graph or simple statistic. So being involved and you guys staying involved at the grassroots level, I think is absolutely critical for us to be successful. Uh, the best way to do that really throughout the year from the AMA's perspective is to ensure that you're signed up as a member of the Physicians Grassroots Network. Um, this includes physicians, residents, and students all across the country, all committed to strengthening medicine's voice in Washington, D.C., um, our online platforms, the website is physiciansgrassrootsnetwork.org, um, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram channels that we have through the Physicians Grassroots Network. Um, we'll keep you updated on the key issues. We'll give you the access to the online tools that, that put you in touch with your elected officials and ensure that your message is, is being seen and being felt by these Capitol Hill offices. Um, you know, we talked about uh, a few issues and, and Jason went through, but Medicare, first and foremost, um, it's going to be soon that, that we're talking about that um, with the grassroots with specific to do items. So I really encourage if you're not already a member, sign up there so that you're you're staying up to date on what you can do, the, the latest on the issues um, and activities that, that we're going to have to, to really start to, to raise the volume. Um, on this as well as other issues, but, but Medicare first and foremost. Um, the other thing I would say, in addition to just, again, ensuring that you're, you're a member with our PGN, um, is take part in AMA events. You know, now that we're back to, to doing more in person, thankfully, um, the AMA's annual interim meetings, uh, as well as advocacy events, um, like the, the NAC, um, the State Advocacy Summit that's held in January and, and others, where possible, we incorporate grassroots training programming in these events. Um, we have grassroots resources like our, our advocacy handbook, uh, congressional calendars, directories, things like that um, on hand. Uh, but moreover, uh, members of my team and I attend these meetings um, typically, and it's a great opportunity to ask us questions, get to know us a little better. Um, we get to know you better and we find out what else we can be providing 
um, and how we can better help you um, with you know, your individual legislator um, on a particular issue and, and help you craft messaging or do whatever we can. So PGN, Physicians Grassroot Network, it sounds like a great way uh, to get involved. And it sounds like you're doing some very effective work uh, through this. Rob, I have one more question for you. Um, for those in-person Hill visits, what are some of the best tips you'd offer up? The first thing I'd say is don't be disheartened if you're not meeting with the member. Um, the nature of the congressional calendar, just it is what it is. With Congress not in session, I imagine a lot of you will be meeting with staff, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. A congressional office is not what you would think of as, I think, as a large operation. I mean, even Senate offices, um, the staff that you're going to be talking to, chief of staff often, legislative director, um, but even a health LA, a health legislative assistant, they have the ear of the member on the issues that you're there to discuss, and they're going to help shape his or her opinion. Um, you know, Jason talked a little bit about um, the, the demographic of congressional staff, and you can have a huge impact on how they view the issue, and that in turn will affect their boss's view on the issue. Um, for the meeting itself, I would say a few things. Um, be aware of how much time you have. Um, stay on task in terms of the issues that you're there to talk about. You know, make sure you're able to communicate all your points in the time that you have. Um, just a simple little agenda or an outline you can sketch for yourself to talk through with your fellow attendees. Many of you are going as groups, which is great. Um, you can just tick things off right in the meeting as, as you're going through. Um, with policy materials, and you know, we have a lot of intellectual ammo on this stuff, and we're going to have great information there, uh, talking points on the issue and, and other resources. You may have some things that, that you put together from, from other organizations or, or other sources. Um, but for materials that you want to leave behind um, with the staff that you meet with or, or with the office, and that's a good idea to do that. Uh, but keep it simple, keep it concise. Um, you know, dense policy studies and 50 page white papers, those are just going to get tossed. Um, and so I would just try to try to keep it as, as concise as you can and to the point. Um, ask what you can do to help them uh, is another thing. Is, is there more information in a particular area that they need? Do they have specific questions? Um, you know, you can bring that back to us and we can help there. Uh, are they in need of specific examples, real life stories that demonstrate the problem? I think, you know, you guys, you, you have those in, in droves, um, but whatever it may be, I think just being willing to help and expressing that I don't think many people do that, but it is appreciated, particularly uh, from the perspective of a, of a staffer. Um, and it also reinforces your level of commitment. And then um, the last thing I would say is provide us with feedback. I mean, that's an easy thing to forget. Um, you know, and especially ironically when the meeting went well, a lot of times we don't hear that, uh, but we'll have feedback forms for you. Um, and you can follow back up with the office as well. Just a short note to thank them recap the discussion and, and just periodically stay in touch with them throughout the year, because this will be, a, as Jason said, a tortoise and hare thing. It's going to be throughout the year um, for us. So uh, make sure to keep in touch. But those are just uh, a few things um, as it relates to meetings. Well, those are some great tips. And I love that term, intellectual ammo. And as Jason outlined some, some, so many specific things that we know really need to get done. And you mentioned the role of the LAs, uh, the legislative assistants, these younger people that might have a little more time to dive into some of these important issues and dot the I's and cross the T's. And there's so much to be done this year. Uh, so thank you so much for those tips. 
Okay. How different are in-person Hill visits than ones that are done virtually? And which one is more effective? In-person are more effective. Um, I think that's the short answer, but you're always going to have greater focus and just an all-around better exchange, I think, in person. Um, There's no technical filter that's going to get in the way. I think um, just about all of us probably can attest to at least some amount of um, Zoom virtual fatigue. Um, But uh, I would say uh, also at the same time, though, not to discount virtual meetings altogether, um, especially when an in-person meeting isn't feasible. Um, offices have really gotten much, much better about doing them. Um, there was a survey done recently where I think it was like 77% of offices uh, plan on doing these going forward, um, you know, regardless of pandemic, um, they, they, they're working for them in providing constituent service. So they've invested in video conferencing capabilities. They're, they're learning how to conduct these virtual meetings better. Um, They take them seriously, and and sometimes when a member would not be able to do an in-person meeting, uh, they can do a Zoom or a Teams call, and and the member has greater comfort level now that they've been doing them for a while as well. So, um, you know, again, I'd say in-person are preferable, but uh, don't, if if, uh, a virtual option is there, um, I wouldn't discount it entirely. I would definitely take advantage of that. So it sounds like you're kind of evolving into some sort of a hybrid model. So you do the in-person, get that connection going, and maybe use that virtual interaction to keep that relationship going so we can continue to make our points. That's a great Um, point, yeah. Yeah. So Jack, um, this one's for you. Uh, As our AMA president and the public face of our AMA, We'd love to hear your take as well about this, and perhaps you can share your experiences doing Hill visits last year virtually as compared to previous years and recently when you were able to meet in person in D.C. Well, I think Rob captured this really well. I, I mean, what I would add is that every opportunity to interact with either a member or their staff is an important opportunity. And sometimes that gets to be in their fancier office in a building on the Hill. Sometimes it's in a hallway outside their office. Sometimes it's in a basement cafeteria. Sometimes it's back in the district um, when they're when they're back home, when Congress isn't in session. And sometimes, yeah, it is on Zoom or on the phone. And, and we are moving into this hybrid world where we can use all those it's all about relationship building. And so I think really, it's like as we talk about seamlessly integrating in-person healthcare and, and telemedicine, it's the same thing, really taking advantage of all those opportunities. I, I agree with Rob. I'd be lying if I said I preferred virtual. I like in-person meetings. I like that connection, being able to read body language and read the room. I I still get chills walking the halls of those office buildings on the Hill and feeling like, hey, I'm actually petitioning my government and speaking up for the profession. Um, but there are some occasional advantages to building in virtual as well. And if you have members if you're still accepting those virtual meetings, you can actually cover a lot more meetings in the same period of time because you're not going through security and, and walking through tunnels and uh, doing all that. And then I, I think uh, we heard about this earlier from both Jason and Rob, but the last thing I would say is do not be dismissive of staff. And if you end up at the last minute getting a meeting, um, with a member of the staff. They have such influence over the members and, and really um, recognizing that and, and treating them as such is important because you can have just as much influence building those relationships as well. And I think a lot of times um, they will have a particular staff focusing on an issue and, the, and they'll be reporting back to the, the senator or the representative. So those relationships, as you say, are so, so important. And um, 
giving them the information that they need and, and uh, connecting with them. So Jason, back to you. Um, how do you tailor your lobbying to lawmakers on opposite sides of the aisle? Are there some issues supported more by one party than the other? Sure, I think big picture, you know, if you look at our, our advocacy agenda, it's very bipartisan. And the Medicare, there's no, fixing Medicare is not a Democratic Republican issue. It's, it's, it's an issue that just needs to get fixed and work better for everyone. And, and telehealth and, and prior authorization issues. And our issues that we deal with are, are mostly all bipartisan. So the messaging in general doesn't, is not, I'm not giving a whole different talk to different staff based on what party. I'm trying to be consistent because you don't want to be too all over the place. Well, you were just meeting with so-and-so because people are friends too on both sides and they go out. But the Jason Reno guy was in there. He was just saying this. You want to be, keep your credibility and our issues are our issues. And we're very focused on having a nonpartisan message. And of course, there's times when, you know, you don't, you, you kind of do your homework and certain members have things that can trigger them in a negative way or positive way. And, and you, you always be mindful of those. And some of those are along ideological fault lines and you don't go out of your way to rub something in someone's eye if you know they're somewhere else and you're not gonna move them, you play it smart. And so you don't walk into some offices that you know, you know what you're saying is not gonna, you, you respect that. People have different opinions in Congress and you focus on the champions and those on the issue that uh, you can lie with or you can get are gettable. And most people are gettable, but some are not. And you gotta be smart about that. And so it's more selective in what you say and don't trigger people, but, but on, the, on the whole, our message is, is consistent to everyone. And, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of a little boring, but that's how it is. It's Medicare payment and there's a lot of complexity to it. And, and uh, we're not trying to chase the latest hot uh, controversial topic. That happens time to time, but um, I think consistent message is important. Right, and our messages are not partisan. Our messages focus on physicians and helping um, helping patients and helping the physicians who care for these patients. So I think that's an important message too. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash moving medicine. Rob, uh, I'd like you to help with this next one. For those of us who may not already have relationships with our lawmakers, what can we do to establish ongoing relationships with them, particularly when we don't have a specific ask? It's a great question. It's a good opportunity for me to promote um, the AMA's very influential physicians uh, VIP program. Um, this helps physicians who already have relationships, but also those who, as you say, want to establish relationships with members of Congress and their staff. Um, to do so um, over the course of time, but also um, to maintain them, um, to make them stronger and ultimately leverage um, them at key times as well. We have a, a host of content available through the program um, and things like exclusive newsletters, updates, um, advocacy webinars like this one um, that are more specific to, to uh, training tactics uh, that you can um, use and um, 
effective ways to communicate with your your legislators things that are tailored for this type of grass tops as opposed to grassroots activity um, and when you when there's not a specific ask a specific bill or piece of legislation um, we can help you tailor messages that will you know continue to give you touch points with the, the legislators with the office to to keep that relationship going so that that you're you're building that all the time so anyone who's interested in that that's physiciansgrassrootsnetwork.org, just like the, the PGN website, uh, and then it's backslash uh, VIP. Um, you can learn more about the program and also um, sign up for the there. Oh, great to know. Jack, you're our AMA House of Medicine expert on this one, and, and we'd love to hear your insight. How have you established relationships with your lawmakers, and how have you kept those relationships going? I'm not sure that I'm the expert, but I've certainly learned a lot from our advocacy team and from fellow physicians who've been at this a long time. But I think at the end of the day, it's about being a trusted voice uh, to the lawmaker and to their staff. And, you know, right now we have some pretty big, important asks, and it's important if we show up to actually focus on those asks and not get derailed. But I think in order to build those relationships, it's also important to show up sometimes when you don't have an ask. And sometimes this is easier when the member's back in the district and just making a, scheduling a meeting and saying, actually, I'm not asking for anything from you today. I just want to know what's on your mind. What can we help you with? Are there issues that, that you want to talk about with me? And that just gives you more credibility when you come back the next time and you really need to talk to them about why the Medicare physician payment system is broken, for example. Um, it means really being available to them when they happen to have questions and urgent questions or something they want to talk about. And it means being consistently credible. As physicians, we always want to come in and be the experts and have the data, but it means never exaggerating. Or if they ask us something that we don't know, I've, I've learned to say, you know, I need to get back to you about that. That's um, I'll, go, I'll go research that for you um, when we don't know something. But that, that relationship building and making it durable over time, I think, is, is the most important way to, to get there. And Dr. Jack Resnick, our AMA president, you have credibility with a capital C. But hold on. Uh, how do we coordinate efforts at the federal and state levels for prior authorization or insurance problems? This is a great question. And anybody who's heard me speak pretty much anywhere knows that in my list of top issues, the annoyance of the prior auth burden and how it's gotten completely out of control is very high on my list. Um, it's an enormous burden for our physician offices and practices where the average doctor is doing 41 of these a week. It's no longer focused on brand new expensive things. And patients are showing up at the pharmacy and getting frustrated and, and not able to get their medications. And a bunch of them never even come back after we fight those battles to get their medications approved. So it's a huge problem. As the person who asked this question, I think, gets it that, unfortunately, this is a patchwork of regulation, right? So Medicare Advantage plans, for example, are regulated by Congress and HHS, um, whereas some commercial insurance plans are regulated at the state. So we have to be in all those places in partnership with state medical associations, and a number of states have passed some really cool laws to try to rein this in. And in Congress, for example, we got a bill across the finish line in the House in shockingly bipartisan uh, fashion to try to rein in prior auth and Medicare Advantage plans. We still need to do some work to get that across the finish line uh, in the Senate in the year ahead. We've seen some, actually, the CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, just released a few weeks ago a couple of proposed rules where it's, it's the most heard I have felt as a profession on this prior auth issue in a long time. 
I don't have time to get into the details today, but some really great stuff in there to fix some problems in prior auth. And, and we've seen states uh, do similar things. Texas, for example, passed a gold carding bill, which is sort of like um, pre TSA pre-check for prior auth that says, hey, if, if you're a physician practicing evidence-based medicine, as the vast majority of us are, and you ultimately get your prior auths approved, you shouldn't even have to do these anymore. And the way that we're coordinating that all around is having very consistent asks. We have uh, on our website at fixpriorauth.org, I think. Um, uh, we have a list of what our asks are. And so there are five very clear asks on prior auth, and they're the same in all those places in Congress at HHS and in the States. Well, I know um, you have been working so hard on this issue for many years, and so has our, our AMA advocacy staff. So let's hope that uh, we'll have some real progress in this year with this new Congress. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. All right, and I think uh, this one will turn to Jason. Uh, a recent article noted more physicians in AMA are supporting reproductive choices, much to the consternation of one side of the aisle. Will this continue? Well, first, I want to jump to the last question first, because I want to tell a little more to the story on the, on the prior auth. Because Go for it. <laughs> if, I had to, if I had to give this talk two years ago and I had a four-point plan to get prior authorization addressed in Congress, it, it largely happened in that we had a bill dropped, bipartisan in the House and Senate. We had 300-plus co-sponsors on a prior authorization bill. Uh, we had almost 60 in the Senate, and we got it through the committees in the House. You got to pass by voice vote in the house. And then we got this horrible $16 billion score from the congressional budget office that based on, we questioned their assumptions and you can't, 16 billion was too much and it, it was the fatal, flaw, fatal blow and it killed it, the bill, but it didn't kill the issue and it didn't kill momentum. This is a tortoise and hair play in that here we are in, 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 in 20, uh, 2023 and we have two rules that came out that largely mirror the bill. That, that legislation that we were pushing, and it does it through regulation. And it, and it does it even more so because it, it applies not just Medicare Advantage, but some other plans. So it's a great win, right? We're at the cusp of a great win that no one's seeing because it's kind of complicated because it's through the rulemaking. And it may help, it may help because now you have the key staff, members of Congress on both sides following this rule because it may change the scoring for CBO because CMS use different assumptions. And, and if you get it finalized as a rule, then it also becomes the new law, so to speak, and it changes CBO scoring. So we may be on the cusp of a follow-on bill that this rule is making possible. But even if the bill doesn't happen right away, the rule is so promising and it will be really real world and do largely what the bill was doing. And it was all because of this foundation, Rob's grassroots team, all the physicians calling in, Dr. Rezek telling all the stories about how this is real world. And so we have a lot of momentum on that issue. Um, and the, the second question, you know, uh, some of those issues are have been around for a, for a long time, um, and some of the, some of these uh, social issues, and and, and it's uh, it's hard as a, as a DC lobbyist to I'm not gonna we're not gonna move certain members on some issues that people have had strong opinions on their entire lives. You know, you try and do the best you can to make your points and your cases, and 
And I'll just tell you, I'm just very focused on the Medicare issue because it's such a big issue that it can consume. Most groups don't have the issues that the physicians have where we have to get things passed. Usually you're on the defense, they're trying to block bad bills. And so it can take a lot of your oxygen and, and need to focus to get, because our bills could be $100 billion plus. That's, that's where most of my energy and what keeps me up at night is how do we get a $100 billion bill passed through Congress at a time when they're trying to cut the, the de budget deficit. Andy, can I jump in and just say one additional thing on that? And, and Jason's right about where a lot of our congressional energy is right now on Medicare. But you know, as I mentioned earlier, our policy set by our House of Delegates, and it's spoken loudly and clearly about government interference in healthcare in our exam rooms. So you know, as the spokesperson in my role, I'm going to speak up about that and give voice to that because that's what the profession really feels and, and uh, believes. But I also, I'm... Uh, I'm an optimist that lawmakers that may happen to disagree with, with us on an issue like that are ultimately going to do the right thing for Medicare beneficiaries and physicians and are ultimately going to do the right thing on prior auth. And, and we'll have areas of disagreement and, and we'll talk about those. But um, but I know that that all of these issues are so important and, and that ultimately uh, we're going to work with Congress to, to get these things done. Thank you, Jack. And I'm going to send this one to Rob. Does PGM have information as to the cost of medications to pharmacy benefit managers to use as arguments against prior authorization recommendations? Well, I'm, I'm not going to punt exactly on that. I would say stay tuned. Um, I know um, we've been talking with policy folks and there will be uh, more information coming. I can't speak as to the level of specificity and as it goes to to prices for for PBMs, but but more stuff directed at PBMs um, coming through the pipeline. Um, we're going to be updating through um, truthinrx.org, um, another um, microsite uh, campaign site for you to remember. Um, but through the PGN as well. So if you're signed up, you will get our updates. Um, on that issue as well. And there, there, that will be coming um, in the, the weeks and months to come, certainly um, new information on that front. So as a reminder, how do people sign up for PGN? It's uh, physiciansgrassrootsnetwork.org. Thank you. Many thanks to our wonderful panel of experts. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being engaged on issues that most directly impact America's physicians and our patients. And remember, AMA is your ally and your partner as we work to create a healthcare system that's better for patients and the physicians who care for them. You can learn all about AMA's advocacy efforts by visiting our website, ama-assn.org. Subscribe to the Moving Medicine Podcast today.